A couple of weeks ago, I asked you a very important question to ask yourself, and that was, if you could do anything or change anything in your life over the next 30 days, what would you do? What would be the one thing that would be important for you? We talked a couple of weeks ago that, that maybe that first step would be to live life passionately. That for 30 days we would make that commitment to live into the words of Jesus in John 10.10. 10, that he came into the world that there might be abundance amongst us. We talked last week about, a, about the second thing that we would do, that if we could add or change or live into something that makes our life different or better in any way, that we would learn to love completely. And I shared with you that, that to love completely isn't what we thought because, well, most of us think, well, I am loving completely. But I shared with you that in order to love completely, we must learn how to be a people of full forgiveness, that until we learn how to forgive one another deeply and truthfully, we miss the mark that we cannot love fully. I found uh, today that an opportunity for us to talk about the third one, and, and the third one would be to live our life with humility. Humility. I mean, I, I found that, that uh, people don't understand how, how dangerous pride is, but I also know that they don't understand how powerful humility is. Let me say that again. People don't understand how dangerous pride is, but they don't also understand how, how powerful humility is. Humility is, is something that, that we don't earn. It's, it's, it's a virtue, but it's, it's something that comes of God. In fact, here's a definition from Richard Foster. He says that the more that we pursue humility, the more distant it becomes. To think that we have it is sure evidence that we don't. Therefore, most of us assume there is nothing that we can do to gain the prized Christian virtue, and so we do nothing. So it's a virtue that God gives, and therefore we receive that virtue. You know, pride is, is very dangerous. In fact, I would probably say that, that it's one of the most dangerous things that we can live into or be confronted with in our Christian journey. It's natural to us, isn't it? It can be insidious. It, it comes, and, and oftentimes it lives within us, and we're not even aware that it's there. And that's how dangerous pride is. People have a, a problem with pride, but they're not willing to acknowledge that they're a prideful person because to acknowledge it, would mean that, that they were basically confessing that they own the situation of pride. Pride is, is what is behind all lack of love. Pride is behind all injustices. Pride is behind uh, judgmental attitudes that we have with others because as we learned last week, I'm not willing to forgive you because of my pride because if I forgive you, it means that I agree to what you've done and we learned that that's not what forgiveness means at all. Pride. Pride is a, is a source of, of hastiness. It's a, it's a source of a feeling of bitterness and of anger. And if we're not careful, pride will destroy us. As I share with you about humility, I, I want to make it clear that, that humility is a strength. Humility is power. And I'm not talking about like a wimpy person. I'm not talking about a wimpy spiritual individual, that that's what humility means. Do you think that Jesus was wimpy? Do you think that Jesus was powerless? No, but Jesus was a man of humility, and he lived that. So we need to understand that for us to embrace humility and to take that on, that it shapes who we are as a people. A humble person doesn't think highly of themselves. 
but a person of pride does. They know that if you're humble, you know that, that what you're doing and what has come your way or, or where you have achieved in life was nothing that you did on your own, but that God was with you and that through the love and the power of Jesus Christ, you have received where you are. So let's talk about some truths this morning, some truths between pride and humility. Here's the first one. We are nothing to ourselves but everything in Christ. Say that with me. We are nothing of ourselves but everything in Christ. We can't add anything to our life without Jesus. We can try, or, or if we do, it's, it's, it's hollow, it's empty, it's shallow. But in Christ, we feel the importance. What does it mean to say that, that we can do nothing except through Jesus Christ? Here's the layman's terms. You are stronger than you think you are. In fact, some of us, we don't know that we have the strength. And what a great day to be talking about power and strength and humility on Pentecost Sunday. Because God has given you the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power is the same power that resided in Christ himself. And that is the power that God gives us. You see, we need to stop looking at life and saying at situations, I can't do that. And instead, we need to flip that and say, I can do that. Why? Because as Paul says, you can do all things through Christ who lives in you. The Holy Spirit is your power. The Holy Spirit gives you the breath. If we aren't careful, we can adopt a, an attitude that, that, that says that life is too difficult for us. But God says nothing is too difficult. Let me, uh, let me share with you that, that while you're struggling in life, re be reminded of this, that God has not abandoned you that God is purposely with you. That even though you feel that in yourself you aren't accomplishing what you need to accomplish, God is doing his work through you. And so what that means is that when you're in difficult situations, I wanna encourage you to adopt the, uh, the attitude that while you're struggling, that you can still face the world with a smile on your face and that you can then reach out and help someone else who is in need. Paul writes this in Ephesians 3. He says, in him through Jesus, through faith in Jesus, we approach God with freedom and with confidence. I love that Paul says this because remember, Paul would say that I'm chief amongst sinners, that I am the one who, who is the greatest of sinners. Remember, he was the greatest enemy of Christianity, hunted people down who, who were following Jesus. And then in that conversion on the road to Damascus, he became a person of humility. He became a person that God would use. He says that, that he has the boldness now to excess that place of God, that in his greatest needs, he can humble himself and come before God. The writer of Hebrews says this, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet who was without sin. And what that says is, whatever you're going through, whatever that temptation might be, we need to remember that Jesus has been there. That on your worst day and in your worst temptation, the Lord has already been a part of that. He's already experienced that on his own. The difference is he's never sinned. And therefore, we can go to him and confess our brokenness and our sinfulness, knowing that we have a high priest that understands. 
The writer of Hebrews continues, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Isn't that amazing to know that, that you don't have to approach God's throne of grace, you know, cowering amongst that, but you can approach it with, with confidence, not in pride, but in confidence to know that God loves you and God accepts you in your brokenness. The writer continues, uh, that, that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. You see, when you haven't behaved well, stop running from Jesus and instead turn around and run toward him. Because when you run toward him, Jesus has the way of saying, I'm going to accept you. And in the transformation of your life in me, you will become a better person. Here's the second thing that we learn about pride and humility this morning. Pride is extremely dangerous. Pride is, pride is dangerous. Let's, let's look at this definition Pride defined means to be lifted up and to be high-minded. What does it mean to be high-minded? It means to think you're better than everybody else. Have you ever met that kind of person who, who maybe says that they know God better because they can recite Scripture from memory and therefore you don't and, or, or that they, or they know this or that and, and therefore they're a better person? That's a high-minded individual. That's pride. The definition says to indulge into self-esteem or self-confidence and to glorify in self-achievement. Now, I picked this definition because I wanted you to see that in this definition, how many times do you see the word self? Self-esteem, to indulge in self-confidence, and to glory in self-achievement. So here we see three times it's mentioned there. Scripture says if you're going to follow Jesus, you can't be with yourself. You have to empty self because that's what Jesus did. Paul says that, that Jesus humbled himself and he emptied himself. He let go of the, of the rights to deity of the throne of God so that he could humble himself to the cross. And therefore you and I are to humble ourselves as well. So to follow Jesus is, is an act of, of self-emptying. It's, it's an act of ridding ourselves of that which holds us back. To carry the cross of Jesus means that we deny ourselves, And it's not about us, but we surrender to him. That is the cross we're called to carry. The cross of humility. Here's the third piece of truth or, or of, of pride and humility. Pride and boasting are interconnected. Pride and boasting are interconnected. The proud person talks a lot about themselves. Do you know somebody like that? I call those the pedigree people. You meet them for the first time and they immediately want to start just checking off. I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and I've done this and I've done that and I have this education and I went to this school and I went to this and I went to that. The pedigree person. That's the person who is prideful, who is boasting, and pride and boasting are interconnected. Boasting calls us to be something that we really aren't. In fact, boasting is defined as the practice of quackery. Quack, quack. So, so we know that God doesn't want us to boast. Boasting doesn't make sense uh, because what it does is it, it, it puts us in this pretense that, that, that we know everything or that we're the person with all of the answers when we haven't a clue. And therefore, we build ourselves up to be something that we aren't. And then people come to us because we have presented ourselves to be this larger-than-life thing, only to find we don't have the answers that we thought. 
The prophet Isaiah writes about the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon was, was one real bad dude. In fact, there were lots of bad kings of Babylon. But in the time Isaiah is writing about how this king was haughty, how this king was, was prideful, and we find this in Isaiah 14, and he writes this about the king of Babylon. He says, how you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. So this king had conquered a lot, of, a lot of nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost highest places of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. Isaiah read right through it. Isaiah saw that the king of Babylon had too many I wills in his speech. He had too many eyes in his terminology. He was focusing more on himself than anything else. And Isaiah called him out. You see, I believe that today our own society, we have too many I wills, don't we? We have too many I wills that are floating around in our society and that leads people to, to think that they don't need God because if I say that I can do this or if you say that you can do this or you will, will, will or whatever, then it takes God completely out of the question. Our society today is moving away from being centered into Christ and more into self and all that is because of pride and the prideful in nature. But as we look at this, we find out that, that, that it's hard. I mean, I can't understand why anybody would say that they wouldn't want a life with Jesus. I can't understand why anybody would say that they wouldn't want a relationship with a loving and gracious and a pardoning God. I just can't understand why they, why they wouldn't want that. But what I've discovered through the years is, is, that, is that people are down on religion, not relationship, but religion. And what that means is that something has happened in the administration of religion in their life that has caused them to have a different glimpse of who God is. They've had pastors and leaders who have done things that made them say, if that's what God is, I want no part of that. So we've seen that religion has destroyed. But let me tell you this, Jesus didn't go to the cross to promote religion. He went to the cross to promote relationship. And that's why you and I, who are part of the body of Christ, we need to be vessels, we need to be light, we need to be the people who go into our neighborhoods and our schools and our workplaces, our community and even the world and be lights of Jesus Christ and let them see the light in us that they can see that truly there is a difference when one has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you while I'm on that, do, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he went to the cross for your sins? Do you believe that he was raised from the dead? Do you believe that, that he sits at the right hand of God the Father now? That God loves you and through the grace of Jesus Christ, if you believe that, then, then you have no excuse. You were called into the world. You were called into your neighborhoods or your communities, wherever it might be, to share about the love of Jesus Christ. Here's the fourth one that we're looking at this morning. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. 
A couple of uh, months ago, we taught on the book of Daniel, but I want to take us back today to Daniel chapter 4, to a scene where King Nebuchadnezzar is, is mindful of what God has done in his life. So, so as we're talking about uh, pride before destruction and a, and a haughty spirit before fall, I want to use King Nebuchadnezzar in this portion of scripture as an example. Here's what it says. Nebuchadnezzar is speaking. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, that you may prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God. So remember the Babylonians, um, they had a society that believed in a pagan world. So they, they actually had many gods. But he is saying that the Most High God, he is recognizing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is recognizing the God who came in flesh as Jesus Christ. He says that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar had the right attitude. He knew that, that as he walked with God, that, that God would continue to bless him, that God would work with him through the challenges of his life, that, that as he was one with God, that, that he would see the truth of the character of God in his midst, and that he knew and recognized that God was the most high God. But let me tell you what happens sometimes. We walk through life and, and we come into a, a challenge or a situation or, or maybe we've been praying and though we're a person of faith, we find ourselves sliding down that slippery slope and we begin to start saying things like, I'm not sure God cares. I'm not sure God listens. I'm not sure God is even connected to this phone call of prayer. And therefore we start to doubt who and what God is and can do. And it's because we fall into that. But we, but we have to recognize that God is all powerful, that God chooses never to leave us, that even in our worst moments, that God promises to be there and the significance that comes. So when you find yourself in a, in a hard spot, don't curse God. When you find yourself in a place where, where you're not sure what those next steps are, seek God. And understand and to know what the power of God can do in your life. The greatest way that we can show that we really appreciate what God has done in our life is to tell others and to share with others what God can do for them. So you see this relationship is interconnected. What humility says is when I'm humble, I'm drawn to the spirit of others and other spirits are drawn to me out of my humility. And therefore, we can put into action what God has done, and we can live out those promises. In Deuteronomy, we see that, that God led the Israelites out of captivity of Egypt, and he leads them into the desert. And folks, they live a hard life in the desert, don't they? In fact, as God is, is doing his work, but God says, I'm going to ultimately give you a gift of a promised land. But the people were in the midst of the desert, and they were struggling, and they were trying to find what the purpose could be, and some of them could hardly imagine. And as we look at the story, we understand as that unfolds that sometimes we live in deserts, don't we? So let me encourage you. That if you're living in a desert right now, if life is dry, if, if you're not getting the answers to the prayers that you seek, if, if things just seem like they're not going your way, be faithful, stay true to God, and lean into what God promises you. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that, that God placed that promise in Abraham long ago, that the people would come to a holy place. But you know what? 
Generation after generation never saw that. But the people continued their pilgrimage as they walked by faith. And that's something we need to know is that God is always faithful no matter what. But we always don't have a, a humbled heart, do we? We want to. We, we listen to these words and we, and we think about what the scriptures say. And, oh, yeah, I, I want to have a humbled heart. Yes, I have a humbled heart. But the reality is we don't always have that. Because what we learn in this story is that God delivers the people from Egypt and God takes them out into the wilderness and promises them this new land. But then Moses tells the story in a sermon and he's reminding the people as he's seeing that, that their humility is draining. Moses says these words out of Deuteronomy 8. When you've eaten and you're satisfied, this is when they come into the promised land. When, when you've eaten and you're satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the, for the good land that he's given you. Even though Moses will never see it, he's telling the people it's coming. Be careful that you do not forget that the Lord your God, failing to observe these commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you today. So Moses is giving this warning, do not fail to live into the words that I'm giving you. Listen to what he says. Otherwise, when you eat and you drink and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become what? Proud. And you will what? Forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of this land of slavery. You see, it's the same message for us today that Moses taught many, many, many years ago. It's the same message for us today, that we cannot forget that what we have comes from God, that our successes are God's success. Our education is God giving us the gift of that education. Whether we own a home or live in an apartment, whether it's a big house or a little house, God has gifted us with the ability to have what we have. And Moses is saying, don't ever become so prideful of yourself that you forget from whom those blessings come. He continues, you may say to yourself, my power and strength in my hands have produced this wealth for me. How often do we hear that? Well, I did this and I worked all those hours so that I could get that reward. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to today. You see, it's only because of God. It's only because of God's graciousness. It's only because of the love of God that grace and that which we have is given to us. And that leads us to our last point, number five. Pride prevents God from helping us because God can only help the humble. God can only help the humble. Listen to what Peter writes. Peter says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, which means tie on the servant's apron. For God is opposed to the proud. God doesn't like the disdainful. He doesn't like the presumptuous. And God defeats all of those. But he gives grace to whom? God gives grace to the humble. Many times when we get frustrated and things aren't going our way, we, we lose sight of that and, and we want to blame somebody rather than take ownership ourselves. Have you ever done that? Have you ever like been so disappointed that you're blaming other people for your disappointment when you find out that maybe it's you who has caused the disappointment? The truth is that, that we don't get what we want in lots of instances, I believe, because God sees the motivation in our heart. 
Why would God, out of his love for you or for me, want to give us something if our hearts are prideful? Why would God want to bless us with something if we don't have humility as part of who we are? Why would God want to bring about those blessings and reign upon us if we want to take the credit rather than giving credit where credit is due? The right way is to humble yourself. It's to come before the Lord. 